Hi, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I don't know anybody doesn't have a hard time understanding what leadership is about. It has changed in the 21st century. And because it has changed, you know, there's not a lot of information out there that pulls it all together so that you have the steps you need to be the best leader that you can. Leadership is all about influence. And this podcast is about helping you understand how to influence others and to build the collaborative team that provides you the inclusive, high-performing workplace that you are looking for. Whether this is the first job you've had as a leader, whether you're an individual contributor, or you've been in leadership for 30 years, there is something for you on this particular podcast. It's called Remarkable Leadership Lessons, shared by Denise Cooper and her friends. And if you like, you can always go over to my website and pick up other gems that will help you become a remarkable leader. This is the Debbie Snow Walsh and Denise Cooper hour or half hour that we have here. And today we're going to talk about how do you pick a search firm that represents your brand very well in the market? Something that really um, can a person or a search firm that can carry your message and make sure that the people that they are attracting really understand who you are, what you're about and what it takes to be successful before they come into your organization. And that's part of, as you'll hear us talk, that's part of the idea of helping people integrate, assimilate, get into the organization. But the end result is, is that they will be high performers. And isn't that what we all want? So um, just to give you a little bit of background, and you can always read it in the show notes, Debbie is a builder of organization and talent executive. She is focused mostly through the lens of DEI. She's been doing this for, I'm not telling, but longer than it has been fashionable to do this kind of recruiting and helping people who are different be successful in large, major Fortune 100, Fortune 200 kinds of companies. Currently, she is at Brown & Brown Insurance Company, which she serves as the head of talent for them. Hey, Debbie, how you doing? I'm doing great, Denise. Thanks so much for having me on. I love this topic. I love the way that you approach the topics, and I'm ready to talk about my experience and my thoughts on DEI and moving into a company, becoming part of a company, and deciding on where you go for talent. Excellent. Excellent. So, Debbie, you, I know you because you you found me, recruited me, and placed me in a couple of places. But as you as you think about when we you know when we first met twenty plus years ago to now, and you've seen DEI kind of move from um, the numbers to now where we're really trying to create high performing inclusive organizations, what do you think is the lesson that we've learned and the lesson we still need to learn? Well, I think the lesson we learned is that you can't force people to accept people that are different than they are because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I come from the same place you do, probably why we get along so well. People have generally big hearts and they want to do what's right. People don't get out of bed wanting to do wrong. They mm-hmm. want to do right for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so they want the idea of a diverse view. You look mm-hmm. different than me. And they want the idea of diverse thinking. You think different than I do. You, you think in a different way. You modify my organization by bringing new ideas and different ideas to me. <clears throat> but you can't force people to accept that. 
because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. You have to be open to, and the team has to be open to opportunities to look outside of the way they think. And that can be anything from, I grew up in this company. I've been with this company. I'm number six employee. Now we're 500. I was number a thousand employee. Now we're 5,000. It, it can be as small as I was here from the beginning and mm-hmm. I don't want anybody to come in to change it mm-hmm. to as large as you know, I think my entire team needs to think differently about this topic. And therefore, I'm going to bring in people who think differently. So we've learned that that's probably not the best approach to force people. But the best approach is to get more people on board with understanding that the broader we are in our thinking, the better we are for the customer. And that goes from selling jeans (laughs) to selling services to banking, looking like, but thinking like the consumer of your product or service is what drives business to excellence. And and ultimately, you know, I say all the time, a business is only about three things, creating great products, collecting the money and um, having great talent that can do the first two. And right. everything else is just nuances up under one of those three headings. And that's why it's really important that you understand that a business is just made up of, I mean, the function is just three things. Everything will take care of itself. If you have good products, you collect the money and you have a team of people who are dedicated to making that happen. Now you're, you've been both inside and you've been outside. You've been, you know, just so you've had your own executive search firm for many, many, many years, very successful. Again, targeting top 100, 200 fortune companies. And now you're inside, inside of a company. And you've done that a couple of times. As you think about this, and you've been in this business for a very long time, what's important for a search firm these days? I mean, what, what is it? What is the essence that when you're looking for a search firm or you're trying to present yourself as executive search, you see is the essence of what's really important and what's the goal? I think for a search firm, and you know, I define a search firm as you know, people that do search usually for the senior level of talent in an organization. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they do it on a retained basis like lawyers do. They get paid no matter what, mm-hmm. but they get repeat business because they do good work. Mm-hmm. So I think the most important thing for any firm, and many of my colleagues in the search business have their own ideas of it, but I think you look for being a white page, mm-hmm. you know, you're a white page mentality. It's a blank sheet of paper when you walk into the client's office and you listen to what the client's needs are for the direction they want to take the company. And you build out and draw on that white page to mimic and adhere to what the customer believes they need. Mm -hmm. And you listen closely to make comments on why things are good or bad, wrong or right, better or best. And you also have some knowledge of their industry, Mm -hmm. or you have no knowledge of their industry. And I think you can be very effective, completely learning that industry from your client, from your customer. You know, some some firms sell while well, we know everybody there is in the financial services business. Mm-hmm. You know, we know everybody there is to be, therefore we'll be able to move faster. Maybe, but you may overlook people that you don't know as well, who don't stand out as strongly because they have been passed by, passed over for all kinds of reasons. 
And if you go in looking at your LinkedIn group of people that you know, that you know well, that you lunch with, that you see twice a year, you may miss some of the talent that's hidden underneath. Mm -hmm. And that's where any kind of diverse thought comes into play. Mm -hmm. I made a successful business looking for those souls who were not front and center. Mm -hmm. And they were necessarily also diverse in some Mm -hmm. way or another. Mm -hmm. And that's the talent that was missed. And that's the talent that companies are looking for because we're in a talent shortage Mm -hmm. in every level. Okay. So I, I get it from the point of view of the search consultant. You know, I recently was this chief human resources um, officer for an organization. I'm sitting here, I've got two, three firms in front of me, and I've got to make a decision on who I'm going to give my search to. What should I be thinking about in terms of, is this the right search firm for me? Is this the right person for me to work with? Well, I think there's, you know, you know, just like you interview how many hundreds, thousands of candidates in your mm-hmm. lifetime of people that you've brought into an organization and you knew in the first five minutes whether that person was going to mesh with your ideals. And while you don't want to hire a person by the person you like, the person that's most similar to you, right. you want to hire different from you. You want to hire to their strengths and your compliments. Mm-hmm. So you want them to complement your strengths mm-hmm. and you want to complement their strengths. But in the first five minutes of that interview, you'll know whether that's a person you want to continue talking to or not. It just, that's just human nature. That's saying the skill level is all the same. They've been vetted. So you've vetted for, for search firms. Mm-hmm. They have a reputation. They have a super client list. You like the person that's come to see you. You've listened to what they had to say. They seem to be good. They all seem to be good. Mm-hmm. What makes one stand out? Mm-hmm. So what makes one or two stand out in my mind are the people who spent more time listening than they did talking, who, yes, can feedback to you what you said, but it's not that feedback. It's the feedback and mm-hmm. you said this and this, this, and this is also true because you said this, mm-hmm. they can make some knowledge judgments, some capability judgments based on what you said to them. So they mm-hmm. feed back to you what you said, but they also have an and to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those ands mesh with where you want to go. So do they want, you know, the Debbie Walsh big five? Do they want to bring you someone who can articulate a vision and get people to march forward to execute that vision? Can they drive financial results depending on what the, you know, what the job is? Can they act as a change agent? And that to me is one of the most important things right now. We talked about change in the 80s and change in the 90s. And, you know, I still say, had we done DEI right in 1995, we wouldn't be doing it over. We're Mm -hmm. still doing it over. But can a person change on a dime? In my mind, hiring and having a search partner who can help you find someone who knows about change because there is so much change at such a faster rate than we've ever experienced in our lifetime of working. And I think that the search firm has to be able to change that way too, because if they start out believing that they're searching for this Mm -hmm. and they come back to you and say, this is what the market has to say Mm -hmm. pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. In the first three, four, five interviews with candidates, you're going to know if you're not on the top of the market. 
and they can come back to you comfortably and say, you know, Denise, we were talking about this, but we got to go a little to the right or a little to the left Mm -hmm. in order to bring you this. They'll know that in the first five interviews. And you want someone, I think, who's going to be working with a sourcer, whatever you want to call it, a person whose job it is, is to source candidates and to bring candidates to them, but you want them interviewed by the person that's that you're working with. Mm-hmm. You don't want it to be interviewed by somebody else and then brought to you. You want them to be as knowledgeable about the candidates as you want them to be. So here's a question, because the way you describe the relationship between um, the chief human resources officer and the search consultant really sounds more like a thought partnership. It is. Um, So they're doing that when it gets down to the, okay, we have three great candidates. My organization is, you know, they'll take any of the three. Do you, or is it appropriate for the consultant if, if asked to say, look, you know, my culture, you know, this, you know, this person, I know I have some blind sides in this, which one would you say (laughs) is it? Well, it's a nice thought to have, but any consultant worth their weight will not give you number one, two, or three. They won't put them in order for you. What they will, and in my opinion, should do is give you an assessment of what the pros and cons are if you choose candidate A, candidate B, candidate C. Mm -hmm. Because not all candidates are created equal. Mm -hmm. They're all good in certain areas, but they're usually not specifically, you know, and it comes down to splitting hairs at that point. You have, you know, and I'm making it up now, but you have candidate A who is closely aligned with your culture, who will do well in that seat, but may not have the list of accomplishments that candidate B or C has. You have candidate B that has the list of accomplishments and has done well repeatedly, but never got the top job. Why? You have candidate C who has the accomplishments, the skill set will do well in your culture and is being courted by another firm. So you might have to pay more for C. More than's in your budget, makes you have to go back to whoever the hiring leader is and say you need more money. And this is why. So that's the best scenario to be in. You've got three fabulous candidates. And by the way, you don't need really more than two, but you've Mm -hmm. got three fabulous candidates Mm -hmm. and they all have, and you have a blind side, Mm -hmm. self-admitted. You count on the consultant, on the search professional to be able to hopefully from a disinterested third-party perspective, tell you what they see Mm -hmm. are those three candidates. And that gives you maybe a narrowing of three to two. Maybe you absolutely can't go back for more money. You are at the top of the house and it creates problems for you inside if you bring them in at more. Mm -hmm. So maybe candidate three is knocked out. Maybe candidate two is knocked out because you don't know why they haven't been promoted. You can't put your finger on it, but there's something. There's something Mm -hmm. that prevented Mm -hmm. that. Maybe candidate number one is knocked out because they don't have the list of accomplishments. I mean, I'm making it up. Mm -hmm. They each could be knocked out for any one of those reasons, but they're all three great candidates. They have the skill set. They have some accomplishments. They've been with good corporations. They fit with your culture. You're splitting hairs at this point. And, you know, you're hiring for, you know, it's an old Wayne Gretzky quote. I'm sure I'm dating myself, but it's also still true. I skate to where the puck is going to be, not to where the puck is. 
So where are you going to be in the two to three years it's going to take this person to be truly effective, to have been assimilated by the organization, to have been trusted. And it's not the person's role. It's as much your role and the role of the company to assimilate that person in. In those two years time, where does that person need to be? Where's the puck going to be? Where's the business going to be? Where's the industry going to be? So which one of those candidates is going to be best able to be where they need to be in 18 months to two years? You know, the way you talk about managing the talent as well as all of this, I can see why you're the head of talent and talent (laughs) thinking about it, because I don't think most companies think like that about their candidates and where they're putting people and the, the, where this person is now, where we are now, and can they, do they have a good vision of where it is? The other thing I want to pick up on is I think in talking to my colleagues, you know, kind of the CHROs of it, and and arguably they're not necessarily at the top 100, 200 companies, but I also used to say, you know, the difference between the Fortune 200 and the rest of them is bigger than the, the whole of Grand Canyon, right? But you said something that, that I don't think people really understand. You said the two or three years before this person is fully assimilated into the organization. And it goes back to, um, you know, something I say all the time. The first year, you're just trying to figure out who's who, how to work with them, and what the business cycle is, what's really important. Not what you said was important, but how does the business right. actually operate? The second, and you, and you make some changes. The second year, you're, you're living with your changes and trying to succeed in those changes, um, as well as now you have a better insight as to the company, your peers, what will work, what won't work, not because it isn't a good idea, but it doesn't fit the way the culture is. So you can't sell this idea, you can't, or it takes too much effort to sell an idea, or it's too much effort to put change in, and you've got, you, you know, it's always a time crunch, right? And then the third year, finally, you're looking at, okay, now I know the culture. Now I know the business. Now I've got my talent. How do I move it forward? And it doesn't necessarily have to take three years, but it does take three business cycles. Faster the business cycle, the faster the person learns, but it does take time. It does take time. It it, it does take time. There's no way to bring a person that I've ever seen or found. And I've worked with companies who are excellent at bringing new people in. Mm-hmm. I just think excellent at doing it. And they have a form and they have a format and mm-hmm. they have a program mm-hmm. and they're deep in the trenches and the CEO is you know, all on board and the leadership team is on board. It still takes a little bit of time mm-hmm. to get people to understand. You know, I just, I, I, minim, I minimize it. Maybe minimize is the wrong word. I simplify it by saying it takes time to know who has the power and who has the title. Mm-hmm. And usually those are two different things. You can be the, you know, and I laugh all the time about the senior vice president in charge of looking out the window. You can be that. Mm-hmm. And I ask people, what does that person do? And they say, well, they look out the window. I said, no, they look on the horizon. Mm-hmm. They look to see what's coming. Mm-hmm. that's the responsible responsibility of the senior vice president in charge looking out the window. And what's another name for that? What's another title? The head of strategy. And what's another name for the head of strategy? The CEO. So the senior vice president in charge of looking out the window is a pretty big, important job. And there may be several of them mm-hmm. within the organization. Do they always have the power? No. Do they have the ear of the CEO? 
sometimes. They might have the title that sounds and is very important. They may have the job that's very important, but they're not always easily visible or easily identified. And it takes some time to find that out. It's not good or bad. It's not wrong or right. It's not bigger than or smaller than. It's just different. And it takes a little bit of time to figure that out. It's funny when you say that, I also envision that at almost every level in the company. It's not just the the horizon may be closer, but there's always somebody who is a skill that everyone should be having in their team is somebody who is manager of looking out the window um, and seeing the horizon to see what's coming down the pike. Because if your head is always down in the trenches, you are always being blindsided but what by the change but if you can lift up and see what's out there um, or at least you know see things coming and pull it together and pull your team it manages the change process in your organization but it also helps you adjust um, budgets and resource management and even the talent that you're bringing into the organization and how to prepare the talent that is already in your organization for what's coming down the pike Absolutely right. And a great point, Denise. We look outside for talent. We need to because we need more people, more bodies, Mm -hmm. more diverse thoughts, more Mm -hmm. diverse points of view. Mm -hmm. But we sometimes overlook the talent that's in our organizations while we're looking at the horizon and looking Mm -hmm. at what we want to bring in. And so it's it's a delicate balance between being able to take our people who can do more, be more, say more, understand more, and already have great understanding of our organization and great historical knowledge, but they're open to change and they understand it. And so it's a delicate dance between between the prejudices that exist in our own organization against this, whatever this is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They can't possibly do that. They only did this. They can't possibly be this. They only know how to do that. And giving them an opportunity to do that new role and bring in people to backfill, if you will, some of the roles that they were in and to bring in people from the high end outside the organization to come in with completely new ideas and different thoughts. It's a very delicate dance and the best of human resource leaders and the best of CEOs understand the dance Mm -hmm. and understand what they need to support in order to get a great mix of people coming in. But it's, it's those internal prejudices that you fight too. It's really a triad, right? And we've been talking about it as a triad. We, we talk about the search firm you bring in, the CHRO or the hiring manager in some cases, then there's the candidate. Um, and how the candidate gets in. So I have two questions for you. The the talent consultant or search consultant is really a representation or an extension of your company or should be yes. represent a, an extension of your company. How do you check diplomatically on how they're treating the candidates to see and verify, <laughs> are they really an extension of your brand? Another delicate dance. Um, certainly you talk to, I mean, I, you know, I'm inside now, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the inside search firm. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you talk to the candidates. It's certainly more easy to do when you're inside, but when you're outside and you're looking for an outside firm, I think you talk to the client, you know, mm-hmm. you, they'll give you references. They mm-hmm. should, mm-hmm. You, you know, and from the big five, you know, you know, the, all the fortune 
50 or Fortune 100 use the big five at some point, some way. But whatever the firm is, you want a list of their clients. You want them to give you references. Yes, there's argument to be made. Well, they're only going to give you people who are going to say good things. Yes, but yes, and depends on what questions you ask. So the questions I would want to ask about a search firm's clients are, you know, how did the search go? What was the easeability like in working with them? You know, did you get the candidates you wanted? Did you like the candidates you got? I never would ask about how long it took them to do it. I just think time, it's just a personal prejudice I have. I think time does not enter into it. Yes, I know you want it done yesterday. Everybody does. But it takes as long as it takes to get the right candidates. So I'm not as worried about time. Then I want to know if I would have the ability, if you would allow me as a reference, to speak to the person that was hired in Mm -hmm. by them, your internal employee now Mm -hmm. brought in by this. And since you have and you own all the information that the search firm presented on candidates, can I talk to some of the other candidates that you didn't select? And that's where you find out how were they to work with? Mm -hmm. Did they get back to you? Did they try and make sure that you were handled in a professional way within the organization? Did they give you feedback? There's a a great uh, concern about giving feedback in the litigious society that we're in, that if you give negative feedback to a candidate, you know, they may come back to you. But it's not negative feedback. It's constructive feedback. It's Mm -hmm. performance management feedback. Mm -hmm. This was a place where they thought you were, because you're always being compared to the candidates, one candidate to another. This is a place where this candidate was stronger in this and they needed that. And that was the reason you weren't selected. Right. Constructive criticism. Mm -hmm. To me, it's, you know, do you have the ability to be better at presentation skills? You bet everybody has the ability. Does that mean for your career, if that's the thing that was lacking, that you go out of your way to make sure that you have coaching in presentation Mm -hmm. skills? Mm -hmm. Is it uh, you didn't have enough management experience while you were up against a candidate who'd been managing since they were 30 years old and now they're 45 years old and they've had teams of eight and teams of 20 and teams of 300 and you've only had teams of 100. You ask for it. You ask those questions. They're hard questions. Do the search firms always want to give you that? Maybe not, but will they? Yes, of course. You're paying them. Mm-hmm. And if they want that, if they want that relationship and they're truly thought partners. Repeat then, business. Do you yeah. want repeat business, not one search? I yes. used to say to people all the time, it's not your first search I want, it's your fifth search I want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why. It, yeah, yeah. Wow, this is over. <laughs> And I have I have a list of other questions that I know I want. <laughs> well, I guess we have to do part two of this one. Yeah, or something. But, I don't know. You know. I mean, there's a list of all kinds of things in terms of this nuance of of really managing talent, you know, in and out inside your organization as well as outside your organization and, you know, the relationships, because basically we talked about the person who hires the search firm, the search firm and the candidates, but we really haven't had a chance to talk about how do you deal with the manager or the hiring manager, whatever level that is, leader, executive, and in terms of helping them think through how to make those same kinds of you know, do you allow the search firm to do that with them? Does the CHRO do it or the HR person do it? Does the person, is the person left on their own? Because there's some companies that basically, you know, the manager 
you know, puts in the requisition, it goes out, and then they have to manage the entire search um, for it. So there's lots of ways and lots of nuances that need to be back on it. So well, I'd like, I'd like words, to just Debbie. say that what we talk about, um, you know, I'm inside now. And so I'm I'm the inside executive mm-hmm. search firm, if you will, in some ways. In some ways, I'm just at the mercy of whatever hiring leader wants. But I think, you know, you, you look at it from an internal perspective. How do I help my hiring leaders hire right? Mm-hmm. How do I coach them about interviewing in the right way to get them the best candidate? And my big thing right now is pipelining. What am I doing with those terrific candidates? I brought you candidate A, candidate B, and candidate C. You chose to hire whichever one. What am I going to do with the other two? Because I'm truly a salesperson. I've been trained in sales my whole life. That's my number one skill. Mm -hmm. If I'm a salesperson, no means no for now. That's all. Mm -hmm. It just means no for right now, today, these Mm -hmm. five minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what do I do with the other two candidates who are mm-hmm. exceptional? We've already established they're exceptional mm-hmm. and now they're going to go someplace else. Where do I track them? How do I track them? How do I keep them warm? How do I keep them engaged? Mm-hmm. Because I'm here to entice them, to engage them, to enhance their career. Right. And they may not be a good hire for me today, right now, mm-hmm. but they might be a good hire for me in two months, six months, eight months, a year. So I don't want them to go real far from me. I want to know where they are. I want to track them. I want to stalk them. I want to make sure I know where they are. It's a whole other thing, pipelining. Yes. So as you're listening to this, everyone, see where this is going to go. Debbie's with us at least once a month, every month. Um, Look for her. Look for this conversation. Let us know what you think, what you feel. What questions should we have asked that we didn't ask? Feel free to send us a, a note. Um, and we will get it in the schedule because we love providing this information, these services, and up-leveling your skills on how to manage this thing called talent management inside organization. With that, Debbie? Have a great week and a great weekend. <laughs> you got it. And guys, you know what I'm going to say. If you liked it, share it. If you don't like it, share it. Because I guarantee that it will cause a conversation for you to get closer to where you want. And it's the remarkable leadership lesson for today. Talk to you next week. Well, as I said before, this is a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for following me. And if you really, really want to make things better and help me get the word out, please go like this wherever you're listening to your podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. All of that's in the show notes. And for doing that, go to my website and click on the uh, network and you'll be able to get some free gifts that will help you figure out how to be the best leader that you can be. As I always say, if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I guarantee it will definitely help you become the most remarkable leader you can be.